Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Sam Alexander with the news. In sports, the Denholm Lions out of Jody, Texas, have won the high school football national championship, led to win by their new head coach, former NFL quarterback, Jim Ledoux. The stadium erupted with a gym roar as the Lions celebrated their hard-fought win. It seems a new high school championship dynasty may be underway. Congratulations to Denholm County High School, the Lions, and Jim Ledoux for laying down the gym law. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. I almost said hello, everyone. Wait, that's what I say. <laughs> you guys, it's been too long. Wait. It's been too long. <laughs> I feel like we've always been reading this book. <laughs> uh, and Benjamin Graham. Hey, concert readers. And we are back, continuing forever, reading 112263, <laughs> a Patreon selection from Jason Keene. This time we are reading through chapter 16, if you're reading along. Otherwise, spoilers ahead. And CM, you're leading our discussion, so take it away. Thanks, Josh. In all reality, it's probably only been like two minutes that we've been reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I have to get one in every time, even if it's not good. Yeah, the, I like that you terrible. couldn't wait. <laughs> I we yeah. not couldn't wait for an opportunity. <laughs> we really mi- speaking of an opportunity, we missed the opportunity to just record the first episode over and over again. Oh, <laughs> dang it! We should have done that. Just we, every it. time we enter the studio, <sighs> it resets everything, and we have to start from the top. Okay, of the book. that would be my hell. Use all the record. Anyway, let's get moving. This is part three, Living in the Past. We left Jake having returned to the rabbit hole in the middle of the night after nearly being bludgeoned by Frank Dunning. And I don't know if I can say that Jake was successful in his plan to save the family. Didn't really work out the way he wanted, but he did do some things. And after fighting against the obdurate past, which made him violently ill and put every sort of obstacle in his way from speeding trucks to toys in a yard, he is face to face with Frank, who already killed one of his kids and injured Doris. When Bill Turkett appears and he spears Frank from behind with a bayonet and before fleeing, Jake tells Doris that he'll do better next time. And he tells Harry when Harry asks who he is that he's his good angel. Bloody and sleep deprived, we're now with Jake back in 2011, and he's super duper pissed off that in the two (laughs) minutes that he was gone, which has been 52 days for him, Al has lit a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) I like that he's like, you were going to (laughs) pray. And make coffee. Praying doesn't take that long. Uh, Real quick, it just occurred to me uh, Mm -hmm. during that recap what that scene must have looked like to Harry, child Harry, yeah. when this man, who we now find out has a large portion of his scalp hanging down by his ear, mm-hmm. like, yeah. when he's like, who are you? And he looks down, <laughs> bleeding from the head and goes, I'm your good angel, and then stumbles away. What a terrifying night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no that's a good point. <laughs> Al is tending to Jake's 
head wound, and Jake notices something different in the diner. Did this freak you guys out? <laughs> the the pictures have changed. What really gets to me is the extent to what Al does and does not realize has changed. Yeah. And what they yeah. do and don't remember about well, the new past. What are the rules, Ben? What's <laughs> what Don't worry he, about it. What does he notice and what does he know? Because the the picture that he had taken with Harry is gone. And now it's a picture with it's it's some local uh second district US rep Mike something. Yeah. yeah. And Al Al doesn't remember that photo. No, and he but he remembers why Jake went back in time. Mm-hmm. He remembers Harry. He remembers the story he wrote. He remembers the photo hanging there. I love it because it's pretty it's what the yellow card man must experience on his side. Mm. Because now we see what happens in the if you have the proximity and you have the knowledge of something. Yeah. That now there are these conflicting things in his head. Yeah, that's got to be wild. It reminds me a lot of Jake Chambers' conflicting Mm. memories Mm -hmm. of realities that do or do not exist. Except Al doesn't remember this new one. Yeah. Not yet. Maybe if maybe in a couple weeks he'll he'll remember. Maybe if Jake is on this side of the rabbit hole long enough. Uh, you know what? I don't think Al is going to remember much in a couple weeks. You think? You you don't think so? Guys, damn it! Uh, Wait. What what happens? <laughs> okay, before we get to the sad, <laughs> they decide to finally do some research on Al's computer, which has been like three feet away from them this entire time. <laughs> they could have done this <laughs> two minutes point. ago. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. <laughs> so they look up the school staff list. They see three people who aren't Harry. And Jake points out if Harry's mother didn't die, he would have no reason to move here. So he's got some more research to do when he gets home. I love that Jake, through all of this, it's like he's just struggling so hard with the two-minute thing, which I would be too. And he keeps having these thoughts like, oh my gosh, how many emails did I rack up in 52 days? (laughs) And I got to feed my cat. And it's just Mm -hmm. all these things. He keeps having to remind himself that only two minutes have passed. I like that when he gets into his car, he's like reaches for all the Sunliners stuff. He's like, oh, God damn it. I should have driven it through the diner. The little tirade he goes on about how new cars suck shit is pretty funny. (laughs) Oh, I have a quick question for you guys. Yeah. We probably won't be able to answer this, but it's just something I was thinking about when Al was saying, oh, it's probably because of my proximity to the rabbit hole that I remember why you went and what used to be on that wall. What if somebody's eating at the diner and some like Al or Jake goes through and changes something in the past? And then like the person in the diner remembers it the original way, but no one else does. What happens to that person's life? I would (laughs) love to read a version of this book where they do turn the rabbit hole over to some weird the shop shop like <laughs> organization and it's a whole book of the shop experimenting yeah what can and cannot crazy. happen like yeah kind having, of like annihilation yeah like what happens if someone is in the radiation proximity of the rabbit hole someone goes through Kills that person's parents before they're born Jeez. and then comes back. <laughs> I would not volunteer for 
being the part of that experiment. <laughs> it's the shop. I don't think volunteer is uh, always <laughs> their modus operandi. Good point. Yeah, I'd read that. <laughs> so Al wants to know everything, but Jake needs to sleep. So he's taking him home. And we, as you guys said, we continue to get Jake struggling with being back in 2011. He's trying to drive the Sunliner. <laughs> yeah. It's just his normal shitty car. And we also get something that fascinated me, and I'm sure it did you guys too. The sign hanging from the chain around the rabbit hole, they start talking about that before he, you know, drops him off and Al goes inside. Because there's a sewer pipe issue. And so Jake asks Al, hey, when you spent you know, almost that whole time there and you came back before you went in, was that sign still there? Was the chain still there? And Al says it was. And Jake's like, well, that's funny that they take that long to fix a sewer pipe. So that means someone put it there, which like, duh, but that means they put it there to protect the rabbit hole. So who put it there? Mm. And we don't get an answer to that, but it's something, it's just another one of those little bits that you're like, and go on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, is there more to it or is it just supposed to be, it's magic. It's, yeah. it's just an odd thing the universe has put here to protect itself. <laughs> Jake also explains to Al, the past's resistance to change is proportional to the amount of change that's happening, which I think is really spooky and cool. Yeah, that's. I think that's my favorite discussion is... Because he's almost scared to tell Al, like, look, it fought back 10 times harder than it fought you because I affected so many more lives. Imagine how many lives Oswald will affect. Mm-hmm. Now imagine the pushback I'm going to get for that. And I like that Jake is like, you know what? I'm going to do this as many times as it takes to get it right. And Al says, okay, you're, <laughs> hold on. You're in your late 30s. You've got to wait five years. A lot can happen to someone if you have to do it again in 10 years' time at your age, especially if the past is fighting you. And, you know, Jake, like part of his skull has been flapping on his head. So I think Al has a really good point. Like, Jake, if he's going to do this, it's he has one shot. Now. Yeah. I just real quick, I something you said, CM, kind of set my brain uh, like I, I I have to gather my thoughts. It really fucked me up. That's how I do. That idea that the past fights back in proportion to how much you change. He talks later on in this section about oh, what if that something tragic happens? And he thinks, if I hadn't come back, mm-hmm. would, that have, would that have happened? I don't think that bears out because of this rule mm-hmm. that the past fights back. If he, I think the past would have actively kept him from doing anything to change it's the like past. he's made the past almost a bad guy who he, would do something evil to mess with him yeah so like it's almost like this idea of like he's back in the past and uh uh-oh what if everything every little thing he does is setting off a butterfly effect due to the rules that this book is set up we don't have to worry about that because if anything he does was automatically going to change something dramatic in the future Mm -hmm. then he would have like before he could have done it. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> That's amazing. I had not considered it from that perspective. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh my god. Oh no. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, what? It's like okay, a built-in paradox I'm, I'm saver. I'm really jumping way ahead for okay. this. But we meet a character later on, uh, Sadie, who is accident prone. What if she's only <gasps> accident because prone because he's there? I bet that's right. Oh my what God, if every time insane. Sadie trips on something or does something, it's because if she didn't do that, Jake was about to accidentally make Al Gore president or whatever. <laughs> Well, he gets so involved in the lives of that town. Yeah, he does. So he's heavily involved in so many people's <laughs> lives, connecting him to the lives of others. That's insanely reasonable. I'm trying to remember if it said she's always been accident prone, and I don't care because I love that. We're just gonna like <laughs> we're gonna blame Jake. I have a, okay. I have a question for you guys, just to, to com- continue to completely halt us because it's so fun to talk about all these speculations. I'm. I'm sure I'm overthinking this, but when they get to Al's house, they're sitting in the car talking and his visiting nurse busts out of the place and starts to scold them, which I love. And her name is Doris. And this, of course, gives Jake a start because this is more evidence that the past isn't just obdurate, but it's also it harmonizes. He'll he has and he will say that a lot. Would that harmony exist in this moment if Jake wasn't messing with the Dunning's past? Because did Al, maybe I missed it, did he have a nurse two minutes ago? And if so, was her name Doris or is the past harmonizing? The way it's presented, I kind of assumed that, but now that I'm talking about, because I, I did, I assumed that this nurse is a new person. Because I wonder, because he has proximity to the rabbit hole, so he remembers Harry, but maybe things that are outside of that proximity that are different to him is just normal, but it's different. Because yeah. Jake never met the nurse in the first place, so he wouldn't. It just seemed weird. But also, I also when getting to this part, when they introduce Doris, he acts with such surprise that for a split second, I was like, "Wait, his nurse is Doris Dunning?" <laughs> and then I was like, "No, that doesn't make any sense. It's just yeah. a different person named Doris." I think uh, I think you might be overthinking it. I think it's just because <laughs> she's new. Like, he's only been back a day to get situated with his new medication and oh, that's true. all that yeah. stuff. So that's she's a like good a point. brand new hire. Was, it's like her second day on the job. Yeah, before he had to get help in 2011. Yeah. Two minutes before that, he was totally fine. Hold on, fine. no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, this is a real... This whole episode is just going to be so us being like, I don't anything. think this book makes sense. <laughs> I love it. If Jake... Okay, hold on. If... Is she a new hire? No, that doesn't make... Oh, my God, my brain. (laughs) If Jake went through the rabbit hole, that reset Al's going through the rabbit hole. Right. Would that mean that Al didn't go through the rabbit hole? And no, that doesn't make any sense. Never mind. Never mind. I see where you're going, but no. Grasping at straws here, folks. This is what happens to your brain. Imagine how Jake feels. Time travel... Wild. Full, full stop. <laughs> Time <to move. laughs> Okay, so back on track. Jake makes his way home, passes out, and when he wakes up, he finally does some real research. Would one of you like to talk us through what he finds in the Lipson and Dairy papers? The Lipson paper is a kind of adorable. Yeah. <laughs> because it's... Uh, There's a story on the front page about the Sunliner being found, being covered in blood. 
nobody knows where the guy, the the gentleman they met everybody in town is like he was such a nice guy i sure <laughs> hope he's doing all right and three days later he's completely off the radar because no there's no connecting him to dairy in mm-hmm. those incidents dairy news is that frank has been killed and it's on the bottom left of the front page. Which and it is, costs three times as much for him to sign yeah. up to get that article yeah. as a lips, lips in. <laughs> of <laughs> course, yeah. Because Derry's got to fuck you somehow. <laughs> and yeah, and, and it's just this small minor story about Bill saying he heard screams when he was walking by and he came in and fought him and killed him with a hunting knife. And the, luckily he was saved before he had a heart attack. And Jake is confused because a hunting knife and a bayonet through the back of your body don't match up. Yeah. And it's just, he chalks it up to dairy being dairy. I we love that. What, why is it all so dairy? Yeah. It's like the thought. <laughs> Next, Jake starts to look up the Dunning kids using directory assistance. And he doesn't do this with very much forethought because he's surprised and real caught off guard when he finds himself talking to Ellen Dunning. This conversation, (laughs) the first time I read this, it broke my heart. Like King just punched me right in the gut, super hard. It was so great. Which one of you would like to do the honors? It's, it's yeah, this conversation is great. He calls and he's trying to come up with a reason that he would be calling, mm-hmm. and he goes through a few different, he thinks, to tell her, he, she asks if he's an old army buddy, and he knows that he can't lie that convincingly, <laughs> and says that they're just old friends from school, right? Yeah, he's like, oh, we used to pal around together, and he gives her, this is what hurt too, details. He's like, oh, you, you know, do you still sing? You'd always be singing. It used to drive us nuts, ha, ha, ha. And she yeah, we used to play at the wreck with with yeah, all these guys. With, he mentions Tugga, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's he, try, he gives his best. Yeah. She immediately calls bullshit on him. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Hey, listen, I'm a radio personality, which mm-hmm. I love. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of folks over the phone, and there is no way you are my brother's age." Who who the fuck are you? It's, and she knows who he is. She guesses, which blew my mind. What did you guys think about this? Yeah, then she says, are you him? Are, are you the guy that was there that night? Which is a huge logical leap. Yes. Because she points <laughs> right. out, yeah, he sounds like he's in his 30s. And he wasn't born yet when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And he, this next part, another punch in the gut, Josh... It's, uh, oh God, I it I hate it a little bit, just a tiny bit, because it maybe because it hurts so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but she basically says Harry is dead. He went to Vietnam, uh, so this ended up cutting his life span by forty-ish years. Jake realized, but she says, "Where were you?" When he was out there dying, where were you this time? Like, man, yeah. before Superman he left, can't save everybody every day. Before he left for Vietnam, he told her, don't worry about me. Ugh. I have a good angel. That's God. the part that it fucks Jacob, too, because the next scene he he hangs up on her, like not 
mm-hmm. mean, but it, it's just sad. The next scene, he is sitting in the bathtub, clutching his knees, screaming. So just a side note, as I read that, I thought it was really appropriate. But when I was typing my notes, I was like, wow, what an overly dramatic teen girl who just got dumped thing to do. <laughs> just sit in the bathtub. Yeah, the, if his ex-wife saw him right then, I think she would have. Uh, <laughs> she would have married him all over again. <laughs> hey, can I completely derail us with a wild theory that adds nothing to anything? <laughs> Go for it. As is our brand. Has been. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I was thinking... What are the odds that within the same generation of dairy, dairy would produce not one, but two nationally known DJs? (laughs) And then I thought, and then I thought, wait a minute, Richie knew something was going to happen to their family because of that incident with Jake. He knew that family was under a specific focus. So what if, after all the events, knowing that old Tugga didn't make it, Richie became friends with Ellen and they got her into the got, got her into radio because she was just as funny as he was. And that's canon. Okay, I like it. It makes me feel a little bit better because this next part is another punch in the gut. The last thing Jake thinks as we close this section is that not only does he wish Al had never told him about the rabbit hole, he wishes Al was dead. This, Oof. this is such, like, it is, uh, uh, I'm glad it doesn't make you wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the second it's out of his mouth, you're like, oh, God damn it, Jake. Yeah, because basically it's like, and oops, I, yeah, sh- <laughs> I shouldn't have thought The next morning. That. He's uh, walking up to Al's house. Well, it's later and it, that night because he's supposed to go back. Oh, that that's night. right. Yeah, it's not even the next day. Yeah, it's hours have passed, man. It's and he goes in. He immediately knows something is wrong, and he goes in to find that Al had taken the remaining pills, his pain mm-hmm. pills, and left a note saying, "You know what you have to do, and it has to be now." Quick question for you guys again. I, I'm sorry, I have so many of these. As he's before he finds Al, he's entering the house and he sees all the pictures on Al's wall, like family photos, and a picture of the Kennedys. And I so that would be like me sneaking a framed photo of Stephen King and Tabitha into my like personal family pictures hanging on my wall. So it's <laughs> just weird, Al. But that begs the question, was that picture of Kennedy there before he decided to save him, or has he always been obsessed with the Kennedys? I think people used to have photos of the president up in their house. Like, that was a normal In 2011, thing. it was not. No, like, people, like, in the the past, like, so it, it could have been, if that's something his household did, it could be That'd something be normal he, for him. Well, you know, they call him Weird Al for a reason. <laughs> oh, and now he's weird. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Another question for you guys. Do you think it's creepy or comforting to make your way to the corpse of a guy you know while a record plays music in the background or would silence be better? So there's a record playing as Jake finds his body. And it just, I was like, no. <laughs> I don't, what, man, music I guess it depends silence. on the music. I guess it depends on the music. Like if it's, you don't get a choice, you just have to like pick one. It could be. Spooky, if I have to roll the great. dice, I'm going to go silence. Okay, if King was really trying to give it that extra little bit of King edge, it should have been skipping. 
That's that's <laughs> oh, real God. horror movie shit. Uh, yeah. Can I read the note? Yeah. Yeah. The note's just sad. It says, sorry, buddy, couldn't wait. Too much pain. You have the key to the diner and you know what to do. Don't kid yourself that you can try again either because too much can happen. Do it right the first time. Maybe you're mad at me for getting you into this. I would be in your shoes, but don't back down. Please don't do that. Tin box under the bed. Another 500 inside I saved back. It's on you, buddy. About two hours after Doris finds me in the morning. The landlord will probably padlock the diner, so it has to be tonight. Save him, okay? Save Kennedy and everything changes. Please. What do you guys think of Jake's motivation to save Kennedy? Because really, hes he doesn't give a shit about that right now. He's like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do the Dunning family right. And maybe if I save Kennedy, there's no war and Harry doesn't enlist and die. Like, it's still all about Harry. That's actually really cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Making it... Because, uh, yeah, saving Kennedy is this huge thing but it's so impersonal mm-hmm. and making it have this like very personal reason behind yeah. it you'd have to have that otherwise why would you go through all of that yeah jake makes his way back home and gets ready for his final trip through the rabbit hole maybe <laughs> hopefully he feeds his cat and tells him if he doesn't come back to go to the neighbor's But only two minutes will have passed. Does time stay at two minutes if someone is in the rabbit hole? If Jake stayed there or died, would we never get beyond two minutes in 2011? What? It dooms the universe to being (laughs) eternally frozen in place if he doesn't return. No, because things keep happening. Like, time keeps going on this side. I think he would just not come back he would have to die if he died time would continue but time can't continue without him because at any point but it he could does. be back in two minutes but it it does the two minutes continues we have no reason to believe that the time stops at the two minutes i just think if he doesn't come back it would be the same as though he died like people so on this side would means... just he would just go in, never come back, and we would <laughs> hold be like, on. Oh, Ben, I love, I love opening. Hold on, rooms. Ben. That means that theoretically speaking, Al stood there for two minutes. Jake didn't come back. Al stood there for two more minutes. Jake still didn't come back. Al lived with sometime within fifty-two days after this moment, and then an instant was reset to two minutes because no, that's where jake no. came back what because no. time never c- yeah because no, time never that's not if what time I'm never saying. stops <laughs> i'm just saying if we're he rewriting never came, existences no. of the past and the future now we've if, done it if we solved someone it. comes back it's always two minutes later if the two minutes pass you just know oh they're never coming back that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and so his cat will be frozen in a no, perpetual no, purgatory. It just be if, if after if two minutes, does, Jake doesn't come back, the world just goes on. Until he comes back. Except he didn't come back, because if he would have come back, he would have come back two minutes after he went in. And if <laughs> he didn't come back after two minutes, then he never will. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay, I'm going to get us past this. I, I just... I had to, and that was beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Time travel is so insane to talk about, and I love it. (laughs) So Jake goes back to the diner through the rabbit hole where he runs into not the yellow card man, not the orange card man, but... 
dead ass dead card man. Black card man. Yeah, he's this guy is dead. He, it appears that he has slit his throat with the glass from a bottle of whatever he was drinking. And that's a bad way to enter the past, like with this huge thing ahead of you that you're doing. I absolutely love the pressure to move on that mm. finding the body of the yellow card man provides for the story. But if I'm just thinking out loud, what if he popped back real quick? <laughs> and then came back in. Like, at that point, what's the window for my mulligan? If I get one more mulligan <laughs> to do... Yeah, because if the black card man is dead and he goes back and then comes back in, is he just not there at all? Who knows? We can't ask these questions. We have to stop. So, <laughs> Josh, as you said, Jake decides today is not a good day to be a stranger around town because there's a corpse that's going to be found. So he hunkers down in the Tamarack Hotel for the night before repurchasing everything he already bought uh, the very next day. I love at some point he... Someone compliments him on the the shirt he's wearing. Oh yeah, the guy he's buying it from is like, "You must like this color shirt." Yeah, and he's like, "I sure do." And then he stops and thinks, "He's like, yeah, it's literally the The exact same one." (laughs) Shirt paradox. (laughs) So he and he gets the sunliner again. Doesn't dicker. It's just like, "Here you go, three hundred and ten, and makes his way to Derry. Okay, you guys, this I love how efficient. Jake is this time through Derry because there's mm-hmm. so much more to cover in this section that we're going to talk about today. And we've already seen this play out once before, but I thought we could spend like two minutes to summarize how he handles himself up to doing the deed, you know, talk about that and then move on. So if there's a bit either of you want to point out or spend a yeah. little more time on, that's fine. But I think we can keep this pretty brief. Well, I just think it's interesting his reasoning for what he does because he purposefully avoids any place he thinks Frank Dunning could be. Because there's a really cool analogy that what he is trying to do is like trying to knock down a tower of cards, which is really easy. But he is trying to knock down a tower of cards at a specific Mm -hmm. moment. (laughs) And until that moment, he has to make sure it stays standing. That's so, so cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so stressful. And also, so he decides I have to avoid Harry Dunning. Frank. At, Frank. I have to f- avoid Frank Dunning at all costs. But how much does that stand to reason? Because he he knows, long story short, we mentioned it last episode, actually. Mm. You did, uh, CM. That his plan is he is going to shoot Harry Dunning at his parents. God damn it. (laughs) He's going to shoot Harry Dunning for no reason. (laughs) He's going to gun the kid down and be like, can't die in Vietnam now, bitch. Um, No, he's going to shoot Frank Dunning at his parents' mausoleum or at his parents' grave. Mm -hmm. But he only knows that Frank is at that grave in this one instance of the universe in which he was in certain mm-hmm. places like He's like we've said we don't it, know how much the the butterfly effect mm-hmm. here what if he only went to his parents grave on that day at that time because of like yeah, yeah. see i think again jake jake is sort of making the past out to be a boogeyman like it's mm. because it's obdurate 
if I do anything, it'll change his course so that he's not there that moment I need him to be so mm-hmm. I can do what I need to do, which is such a wild like thing to be grappling with in your mind. Like, how do I not mess up? Like, he thinks the past is that yeah. wacky, which is terrifying. It's really cool. Uh, and But anyway, his plan works. Yeah. He buys a pillow. <laughs> Dairy <Pillow. laughs> This, it's rough. He gets, he doesn't get sick, although he preps for that. He gets a- <laughs> I did love that. <laughs> he gets a vicious migraine and like has a really hard time just getting to his car. The, his jacket pocket where he had his keys, there's a hole in it suddenly. So he can't find his keys at first. The battery is dead. He has to deal with that. Then he can't get out of his car. Like the door is locked and jammed. It's, Yeah. The I had in my notes the Sunliner pulls a Christine, it locks him in. <laughs> and we, while he was here, he before this moment, he's been like making bets. He went to Chaz and met Chaz's wife, who's a quite a character. And he's he's got to spend some more time in Derry after he does this deed, mm. so that he can collect his money. I thought it was interesting that as Jake gets to a certain point in his plan, he feels like he's broken through the obdurate past. Like once he gets into the cemetery and he's waiting there, his headache fades. I also, man, so after he kills Frank, he goes to the Dunning's house just to like look at them and (laughs) reassure himself that they're okay. And he thinks about how he wants to tell Ellen to still go trick-or-treating, to tell Harry not to go into the army. And He, he wants to incriminate himself in this murder <laughs> so <yes>. bad. <laughs> he leaves Bill a note about his heart. He leaves it with the bartender at the sleepy dollar, silver dollar. And most importantly, as he is leaving town, he passes Mr. Keene's <laughs> drugstore. Mr. Yes. Keene is standing, looking out the big picture window, and Jake sticks his arm out of the Sunliner's window and flips him off as he drives away. And it is, I love Jake. <laughs> it's yeah. glorious. It's amazing. A few days later, we find Jake on the west coast of Florida. And I want to mention his brief stop at the Humble Oil Station because this is the beginning of several points where I think King is writing about the 50s less through that like rose-colored glasses mm. thing, Ben. And I was just wondering if you kind of, if you felt a little more at ease with I, the depiction of this era. It's He's definitely trying. It's it's something, it seems... I mean, Jake literally says, if I've given you the impression, it's all yeah, sunshine. Yeah, he stops at a, at a rest stop and comes into contact with a segregated rest stop. The uh, whites-only restroom has a sign pointing away through a path with a bunch of poison ivy leading to a board over a creek. And it's it's terrible, and it's it obviously uh, the worst. And I am glad that he, he does acknowledge, acknowledge that, yeah. that, hey, the, the past was not all really good root beer floats. <laughs> um, yeah. But it also, I don't know, there's so much hand-waving. Once he gets to Jody, there is an, I just feel like there's an awful lot of Idealized. This, this place is great. This is this is the Leave It to Beaver past, well, and, and I, all these people are a okay. See, I feel like that's to me that was something almost trying to keep him there and comfortable. Mm. 
I don't know. We'll we'll get to uh, Jody's thoughts. Of course, thoughts. there are there were good yeah. places, but I don't know. It, it's it's uh it's a hand wave at something heavier than King is uh ready or capable of mm. really riding towards. So you know. Yeah. Before he gets to Jody, he spends some time in Sunset Point, a town 60 miles south of Tampa. And here's where we find out something that I don't think has been made super clear yet, unless I missed it. We have been reading Jake's manuscript. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that that's a surprise here, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, that's what I thought. He's also writing a novel called The Murder Place, the place being Derry. He makes a remark here that, really filled me with tension as he's spending time in sunset point working on his manuscript and book he pours over al's notes and research and he thinks this sort of obsessiveness in the notes like this is exhaustive but as as he gets closer to the point where his life is going to converge with oswald he's going to feel less and less that way because there are holes in the research and notes and i'm just like ooh. I don't want I don't I don't want to get there you guys. <laughs> Jake then thinks that Al taking his own life took away the scholar's greatest weakness calling hesitation research because having more time would have only muddied the waters because Jake would have gone through all the conspiracy theories and all the books and there's just so much information out there about the assassination. Mm-hmm. What Al provided was his own observations of things which is pro- truly probably the most objective and helpful mm-hmm. that Jake is going to have. A few important things happen here that if you guys want to spend more time on, we can. But Jake starts placing more bets to get some more income. And it's so stupid. He, <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. Because he meets a, a bookmaker named Eduardo Gutierrez. And all we get of him is that he seems very dangerous. And Jake, he also gets the most ridiculous college degree from yeah. Yeah, United he, College of Oklahoma, where the questions are like like a crossword puzzle that's like three down, not yeah. cat, but... He basically gets a teaching degree from one of those mail-in flyers where you have to draw a turtle and a pirate. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. so, so shady. <sighs> Jake starts to get a hunch, a bad feeling, and in July of 1960 decides to put some distance between him and Gutierrez. And during his travels, he makes a pit stop in New Orleans. Let's talk about what he's doing here. He doesn't spend much time here, but this is an interesting place. Uh, once he's in New Orleans, I, I like that he's just, he's going to see, because I think the purpose is just to see where Oswald will eventually live. It's like a little sightseeing detour. Mm-hmm. And... He gets this extreme sense of guilt when he realizes that he still has a book from the library in Florida and he calls and they're like, oh, my God, we we were so worried about you. And he's like, what now? Well, apparently somebody burned his apartment down. Mm. Just so happened. Yeah, like the day he took off, I think. Mm -hmm. So his his hunch was right. Yeah. And then he decides to mail it back and he's like, you know. I'm just going to go ahead and leave now (laughs) since I'm sending something to this with my name on it. I'm just going to go. Well, and before he leaves, he witnesses an almost murder. Yeah. This scene I thought was really it. This is where it started being more effective for me Mm, of showing the, the violence of the past and the seediness of the, the past. Cause he's, 
in New Orleans and he's just walking by some club Guy's or probably bar. on Bourbon Street. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and a uh, guy gets thrown out on the sidewalk and this hooker walks up. He's is basically trying to check on him. Yeah, being it's, really nice. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> "Hey, are you okay?" And he stabs her in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. And this is like in the middle of the day. It's such a sudden, pointless act of violence that he's like, yeah, I need to get out of town. I don't like it here. And uh, the next place he goes isn't much better. Ooh, no, because he rents a room at the Adolphus Hotel on Commerce Street in Texas and stocks the Texas School Book Depository where Oswald will eventually take his shot, which I thought this was so cool because it reminds him of the Kitchener Ironworks mm-hmm. and Derry. Like he can yeah. feel it calling to him, telling him to come inside. And he thinks that he's like, I have no intention of setting foot in that place ever because he's going to try to take care of Oswald the way he's, he did with yeah. Frank this time around, according to Al's notes, which is titled conclusions on how to proceed. What did you guys think about his plan of how he's going to tackle Oswald? First, real quick, I just got to say that this section was the point where I'm like, uh, I got to tell CM she was right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have to take back what I said last episode about, oh, it's so lame that he's like trying to show that the past was bad, but only in Derry, mm-hmm. a place we know is supernaturally evil. <laughs> But this really, the paralleling, gets real on the nose when he starts (laughs) dreaming and saying Derry is Dallas, Dallas is Derry in his sleep. But it works. It's it's really cool, especially when he's like, oh, that reminds me of the Kitchener Ironworks. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. It gives gives this place in Dallas just this creepy feel that I love. Something that I've only associated with Derry that if you had asked me before reading this, if it was possible for me to like feel the way I feel about Derry about another place, I'm like, well, yeah. no, it's so specific to Derry. And King just did it with a sentence. You well, fucker. <laughs> he, he like personifies the the school depository and gives it this like yeah. speech in the voice of Pennywise, Derry, kind basically, of? Like, yeah, which is saying, Derry. come in. There can't be ghosts here. The crime hasn't happened yet. It's it's really yeah. cool. It's so self-aware yeah. of why he's there. It's it's very upsetting. It, it's at this point though that he has the the great relief with the simple solution of, oh, I don't have to live here. I can move. <laughs> Which that made me laugh like really hard. <laughs> What it made me realize is I thought of another really simple solution to this whole JFK thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to the book depository, start a fire on that floor, come back to the present, see if that changes anything. <laughs> but then he'd just kill him from the grassy knoll or whatever. Like, he, that's but the concern. That is- shot, but does that, does that one in a million shot happen from any different angle? Is he is he that well, lucky? It's is the it same. Like- it's the same reason that he, when he was uh, last episode, going through his list of how to deal with Frank. It's why he couldn't like do something to send him to jail or incapacitate him because well, because Kennedy's going to be around in other places. He could take a shot somewhere else at a yeah, different location. That's fair. That's I fair. know that was a good. Uh, trust me, my brain 
has like gone through ideas and then had to throw them away. <laughs> Cause that's, that's the fun of reading this book. I think too. we're accidentally going to become uh, associated with conspiracy JFK conspiracy podcast. <laughs> Cause we keep throwing out. We'll ideas. be the worst one. So as you said, Jake hates Dallas. His plan was initially to stay there while Oswald was in Fort Worth, which wasn't too far away. And then, move to Fort Worth when Oswald moves to Dallas to be near but keep enough distance that he doesn't cause any butterflies to flap their wings. He attempts to do this, but can't take it. And soon he is looking for a place outside of Dallas so that he doesn't lose his mind. If Jake's time in Derry trying to save the Dunnings is like my favorite part of the book, what we're getting to now with Jody, I think might be my second. Because it's it's a I like it because it's a juxtaposition of just this miserable experience he had that he had to go through twice. And it's like it's like the carrot being dangled in front of his face now. Like, hey, man, why don't you just chill out? Because life can be really good here and we'll get to it. But there is a point where he decides not to go back. Yeah. See, yeah. The part three of this book is I think the, the. part three title is called living in the past. Mm-hmm. And at, for, I love that it's one of those titles that you're just like, yeah, of course we're going to be living in the past from now on. But then you realize that like, Oh, he builds a life for himself in Ooh, this past. Yeah. And like wh- how heavy that makes it. Yes. So he's driving South of Dallas on highway 77 into Denholm County. He spots a billboard with a message on it. That's going to come back a few times. Although we, We're not going to understand the significance yet. And it is a picture of who we will come to know as Jim Ledoux, the star football player of the local high school. We've got Jim Power. I'm just going to say that here and leave it. (laughs) Jake pulls off into an Al's diner run by an actual Al. I love it. Al Stevens. And he's a friendly dude who gives Jake some really solid advice. He suggests that Jake may get a job by talking to a man named Deke Simmons, principal of the high school. And he gives him a tip. He's like, he comes in with his gal pal, Mimi Cochran, the librarian, and she's the real MVP of Denholm Consolidated. So you impress Mimi and you're in. You've impressed Deke. Which one of you would like to introduce us to Deke and Mimi and their fantastic way of interviewing Jake? <laughs> uh, well, their uh, way of interviewing well, I just love Mimi. Mimi. Yeah. Yeah. Deke just eats and is oblivious. Mimi is a super cool character. Mm-hmm. She is this uh, older lady, but she is so obviously in charge. She's so obviously like the brains of the outfit. And she starts, and Jake is immediately like, this is never gonna work. There, uh, I really want to live here. I would really like it here, I think. But I don't know, because she starts asking him questions that... Uh, like, have you read Catcher in the Rye? Yes, because we skipped over. He taught for a little while in, in Florida, Florida, mm-hmm. and yeah. he He's a substitute got yelled at because he talked about Catcher in the Rye, and they asked him if he was a subversive. Because the kids were like more engaged than he's yeah. ever. It was one of those really it's, cool you're moments. You're the most, Mister. Uh, yeah, you're they, the coolest they, teacher ever, yeah. Mister. And so she asked him about. Uh, what do you think about have you read catcher in the rye and he goes oh here it comes yes of course i have uh it's what did you think of it he said well i think it's a great book about you know how good the 60s can be if the kids well what does he say if the kids keep their 
courage or something like keep, that. Basically keep their wits about them and, yeah. and, you know, push back. Don't, don't settle. And she ends with, do you think that Catcher in the Rye should be in our school's libraries? I, I love he resigns himself, too. He's like, oh, I got to be honest because this woman is sharp, and if I lie, she'll know it. Yeah, so she says, you know what? I, I think it should, and I think one day, you know, it will be. And she surprises him by saying, well, shit, you shouldn't be a substitute. You should be on our full-time staff. Yeah, because somebody's <laughs> going to be retiring. And that person's a moron. And I like how Deke is like, Mimi, that's so improper. And she's like, it's not improper. It's true. <laughs> she's great. Yeah. So after, so Jake basically gets the job. And after this meeting, we get a bit of foreshadowing here, which is not going to pay off in the section we're covering. But Jake says the following week, he makes a mistake. He goes to Dallas and he places a large bet because he thinks he's far enough away. Nobody will write. It's, it's going to so be fine, you guys. So fucking stupid. Oh, we'll get there someday. The, he just jumps through every mental hoop. To justify To talk it. himself into it. Yeah. He only has you know, like $14,000 to live off of. He'll only get like $50 a day or a week sub pay or something yeah. crazy. It's it's rough. Before we make a jump forward in time to Jake's experiences in Jody, he spies on Oswald's brother and mom. And it's the this experience is just enough that it gives him a sympathy for Oswald that he did not feel for Frank. What did you guys think of this scene? Do you want to talk about it? It's basically Oswald's mom uh, shouting at her, at Oswald's brother, saying, I want to hear from Lee. And, like, I want to talk to my brother, good kid. Doing the it good son. in public. Yeah, yeah like shouting it down the block. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the king overbearing mother yeah. trope. Uh, yeah. it's, Which he does so well. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. It is unpleasant every time. Makes me, this book does do the job. I don't read a lot of nonfiction, mm -hmm. but I would be interested in reading more yeah. into, uh, I almost said John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> uh, the other one from Assassins. No, that's one for our Sondheim heads. Oh. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh my God, listeners. Th this goes to show that my inability to remember names does not <laughs> just... Uh, I thought that was just for us, did you? Yeah, it's not just a bit. I just you forgot forget Lee Harvey Oswald? fucking Lee Harvey Oswald's name. <laughs> oh, you were so baffled looking that I... I was going to say Lee Harvey Oswald. I'm like, he must be talking about something else, though, based <laughs> on the look on I his face. I <laughs> completely forgot. No, I'd be, I'd be interested in reading into more about his life because, yeah. like, how much is this mother a real character? Like, how much was his family life actually like Yeah, this? historical fiction terrible. is cool, and I don't know, yeah, how much of this dips into that or not because I haven't really investigated it beyond this. But I did... The, after the first time I read this, I did kind of feel like I know way more about JFK stuff than I ever have. Yep. <laughs> in a kind of a cool way. So it's now May of 1961. Jake is at home in Jody, and there is a knock at his door. And we are about to meet the super de duper de sweetie pie, Mike <laughs> Kozlaw. Oh, Mike. I love you guys, right? I freaking love Mike. Yeah. He's adorable. Mike is one of the local football team's players. He's a big kid, and he is coming. This is when he's coming to uh, almost in tears. In tears, yeah. Yeah, in tears, because the other kids on the football team are giving him a hard time. And uh, 
uh, because he has joined the play. Yeah, he's in the drama play. club now. And, and, he's, learned, but he, and he's Lenny. He's one of the leads. Yeah. And they did it as a, they auditioned as a joke. They're kind of hazing Jake as the new teacher doing this play. Yeah, but the second he came on stage, he was aware that Mike was unnatural. And he he's he gives this amazing, like, pep talk. Mm-hmm. It shows how good of a teacher Jake is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because in, in a very short amount of time, because we just jumped to this moment, apropos of nothing, basically. Yeah. And he says, you know, you, you can't let them get to you. You have something special. Mm-hmm. And uh, convinces him to go on with the play. Now, this book is already so long that usually we get uh we can get uh, frustrated with uh scenes that feel non-important and i appreciate that the non-importance of how much time we spend on this mm-hmm. in the book actually is how important it is to show jake being invested in the lives around him and not just the mission. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I feel that way about the Jody section, which is why it's like my second favorite part. It is so genuine and sincere. And because of what he's been through before that and be in reading it for a you know eighth time through or whatever, it's even more special to me because I know what he's going to go through. And it's like, it's this moment that you can be happy for Jake, but it's bittersweet because even though you know how it's going to play out, you are screaming at him to stay. Like he, Jake seems more comfortable and at home here than he does in his life in 2011. Absolutely. I I went into this reading of this remembering having those thoughts Mm -hmm. about this section. I, I remember my first go through thinking, this goes on too long. It's... It it seems to become a different book at this point because it is just a it becomes a romance novel. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is King writing a romance Which novel. I, I, love. I love it. Yeah. And this go through, I'm like, it's it's clicking. So it's I, I it's wonder, really nice. effective. I wonder if that experience is best when you have read it once before. Yeah. Could be. Hmm. Listeners, you'll have to let us know if that's the same for you. So we're going to jump three weeks. Jake gets a visit from Mimi, who had pestered him into letting her read his manuscript, <laughs> The Murder Place, which I don't know about that name. It's a terrible name. <laughs> and then we find name. out that Jake might be a terrible writer. Yeah, I was just gonna, like, what did you guys think of her response <laughs> the to fact his? That he's like, it's set in Dallas. It's set in Texas. But everyone speaks like they're from New England. <laughs> everyone says, I, uh, and he's like, oh, I didn't catch that. Are you an idiot, Jake? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I love, though, like, she softens it because she's like, this is good. But you know what you're really good at? Your Her main argument is that he's a good teacher and, like, publish this under a pseudonym because you'll never get a teaching job <laughs> with your name on something like this. And she tells him artistic talent is far more common than the talent to nurture artistic talent. And Jake is just like, wow, I don't know what to say. And I this is why I love Mimi. She says the best thing ever, something I hope I can remember to say to people. Say thank you and compliment me on my acute judgment. Which I, that's just the perfect response <laughs> yeah. to someone who has a hard time accepting compliments, I think. <laughs> R- real quick, do I misremember... Did Bev and Richie mention that there was a clown? 
Jake mentions a clown to because, them. Yeah. Oh, does he's the one who brings up? Oh, the and they clown. act real weird yeah. about it. That's yeah. right. Because yeah, when they she talks about his book, she's like, "Oh, I like the murderous clown," and I'm like, "Did he just pull that out of thin air?" <laughs> Well, no, because they the adults were talking about yeah, the bartender a person dressing as a clown. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's why you can't talk to kids. Yeah, because of clowns. So there's a full time spot open at the school, and Mimi is not going to ask Jake to take it. She's going to basically point out in her awesome way how dumb he would be if he didn't take it. She is a force, you guys. And with that business accomplished. Jake notices how tired and thin she is. She's already a thin lady and he asks if she's okay. And she's, she responds with, why wouldn't I be? I'm getting married. So Deke finally locked it down. Good for him. She is also going to retire. They've hired a replacement already. Her name is Sadie Clayton. We're going to call her Sadie Dunhill, her maiden name from now on. And we also find out that Mimi is going to be spending some time in Mexico for some experimental treatments because she's very, very sick. And through this conversation, she stops to study Jake and then says something interesting. She compares him to a space alien, specifically the one from The Day the Earth Stood Still. And she point blank asks him if George Amberson is his real name. And he tells her the truth, that it's not. And I'm just like, this part is like, man, it's... I'm glad he earned so much goodwill with mm. the play because we, we skipped it, but the play was like a hit and like Deke and Mimi were crying. People were, the, the it was coach amazing. The was crying. Yeah. yeah, the coach who also made fun of Mike was even crying because she doesn't give a flying fuck that he's lied. She knows he's a good person. Yeah, well, This is where we find out she knows his uh, degree is fake. Yeah. Mm. Like she, she is completely like, you're just some weird drifter but i like you so have a job there's she picks up on something supernatural about him and but he's yeah he's so (laughs) awesome because we find out later he's constantly talking like gosh in slang from not even 2011 i'm so fucking angry about that (laughs) moment I can't wait to be mad about it. Okay, well. Yeah, he talks like how <laughs> Stephen King thinks people talked in 2011, which was actually how people talked in like 1990. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to come forward a little bit. It is the day of Deke and Mimi's wedding reception, and we finally get to meet Sadie. And while it wasn't love at first sight for Jake, it is for me. Sadie is great. <laughs> which one of you would like to introduce her? <laughs> He goes out of his way to be like, it wasn't love at first sight. It wasn't a meet cute. It wasn't a meet cute. It wasn't. But it totally was a meet cute. Thank you. I had that in my note. I basically had almost exactly what you said, including the shut up, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) You got. He got to second base. It's definitely that's not even part of it. It's just their meeting (laughs) is instantly the the chemistry is there. They're in love. Get married. Shut up. Yeah. It's, I forget that she's six foot tall without heels. I forget that she's such a, a large lady that yeah. like the, the two, because Jake is also, Jake's what, six, two or six something? Four, yeah. five, six, six, four, four. Or five. Yeah. 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 He's like very tall. So they're just the two tallest people <laughs> at every place they go Anytime to. Anytime they go anywhere, he's like, people are staring at us because we're hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really cute. Yeah, their meet cute is adorable. She is about to introduce herself in trips on a chair, and he saves her boob first, which is how all my 
meet cutes happen. I'm always getting a handful of tit. And (laughs) they just hit it off as friends, though. And it kind of stays that way for a long time, except like he's always commenting to us on like how gorgeous she is and how cool she is. We jump to August with some really sad news. Coach Borman and Ellen Doherty, the acting principal, while Deke and Mimi, you know, have gotten married and go on their honeymoon and are in Mexico, are at Jake's store. Mimi has passed away. And Jake poses the idea of having a celebration for her, um, a school assembly style thing. And Ellen suggests that he should have Sadie help him out. And that'll be a really good introduction to the students and community for her because she's taking over Mimi's spot, but to have her like replacing this irreplaceable person, but being part of this memorial is a really, really good idea actually. And I, it makes me really like Ellen. We don't get a ton of her, but what we do get, she's pretty cool lady for the next few weeks. Jake and Sadie put together the memorial assembly and this is the whole time. Like nothing's happening between us. He's falling in love and you can tell. And it's just so well written. And he's so not interested in her romantically, though, that he invites her to the Friday night football game. (laughs) And the whole town's going to see us together, but it's not a big deal because everybody goes to the game anyway. (laughs) And here's where the sparks finally fly, except Jake is almost cock blocked by a chant. Uh, The dumbest chant. I I don't like this part. I I don't quite get this part. It's such a dumb phrase. It is not threatening at all. (laughs) And it is it is like trying to set up this. It's kind of the it becomes the name of the force. Yeah. Of the past. Which I I think that part is cool because we I think we mentioned very briefly, but it's so easy to kind of like pass this part mm-hmm. the yellow I completely forgot that it would be important yeah the yellow is either yellow card man or orange maybe it's the orange card man the orange card man yeah said something like fuck you jim law to jake and i think yeah. we briefly talked about it but that's that's what this chant is well it, which is especially is, because jim law isn't that a thing Am I just I making so. that up? Like, I always thought that, I thought that was like, I thought no. it was like a phrase for just cops. Like, calling a cop Jim Law. I might be making this up completely out of whole cloth. Johnny Law? Maybe, maybe that's Johnny it. Law. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I thought it was like an old-timey phrase that he's yelling. But when everyone starts chanting for Jim Ledoux, they keep going, Jim Law. Why are they finishing his name? <laughs> exactly. It's a terrible chant, but it scares it's because the they shit started out of workshopping Jim. it because they were like they were saying Jim La do and they he thought he was being booed and it was really getting in his head. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Yeah, no problem. Right. No problem. Okay. I did a lot of research. I appreciate that. <laughs> so yeah, this freaks him out and he just freezes up and Sadie's like, Are you okay? And he's not answering her for a very long time while this chant is happening. And then he breaks out of this sort of daze and kisses her on the nose. And some kids see it and they're like, way to go, Mr. Amberson, get it in. one kid is like, hell yeah, Mr. A. It's great. And Jake is feeling very uneasy that the past is harmonizing. You guys, oh boy, we are a long episode. We knew it was going to be. We are at part four. We knew it. Sadie and the general. We're not going to finish 
this part on the episode, but plenty is going to happen through our endpoint. We get a few paragraphs that are really fun and nice about the memorial assembly. Jake and Sadie are growing a little closer, and so are Jake and Lee times growing closer in Dallas. I mentioned that because you can see his life like falling together and how difficult it's going to be to change or move that around Mm -hmm. when he has to make the switch. Jake uh, makes a trip there in early October to visit a man named Silent Mike. He has some business to conduct. (laughs) This bit is stupid and it did make me laugh. I like it, yeah. Because he's he's this Dale Gribble character who runs an electronics store and Jake comes in and asks for some things and the guy's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Maybe on the planet you come from they have wireless listening devices but all we got is the radio dum dum i also like all the effort he puts into the lie the guy doesn't care about he went to a pawn shop and bought a ring so that he could look like he's married because he's gonna spy on his cheating bitch wife the guy's like "Uh uh-huh like i don't shut up (laughs) he very obviously deals with people doing this kind of stuff all the time uh but they make a deal and he he decides to make some devices for Jake, that we later find out are wire-tapped lamps. Mm-hmm. And we also find out, he asks why his name is Silent Mike, and it's because he thought that Christmas song was about him. And Jake doesn't get it until he's out in the parking lot. <laughs> it's, it's such a dumb bit. It adds it's nothing, and it makes amazing. me love standout character of the book, yeah. Silent Mike. Uh, Big Steve Award. Not Ivy Templeton. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you didn't like Ivy Templeton? Ivy. Oh, Ivy. <laughs> She's my standout character for this I'd, section of the book. Yeah, Jake makes his way after this to Fort Worth in a shack on Mercedes Street, one of the other places Lee, Marina, and their baby June are going to be staying eventually. And this is where Jake meets the charming Rosette and her ma, Ivy Templeton. No relation to Al, hopefully, for <laughs> Al's sake. Okay, I love the reading of Rosette in the audiobook. It's so funny when she's the way he does her voice when she's calling Jake a dirty old some bitch. Because Ivy yells at her, and her response is to call him a dirty old fucking some bitch, and then runs off laughing maniacally. And it's like, girl, I see you. <laughs> you guys want to talk about Ivy? In his business just with her. <laughs> that I love. So it's it's a slum. And essentially, Jake wants information. This is the apartment that Lee will move into eventually. And he wants to... Or, or it's the neighbor of the one. Yeah. It's across no, the street. No, it is the it's one. It's the one. Because he's going to rent the one, the one across the street. Because he's putting the, the lamp yeah. there. Right. He's renting the one across. Yeah. So he's like, hey, let me know when this becomes available. And I'll give you $10. And... You don't have to fuck me. Because she it. really is like, oh, I'm gonna have to fuck you. Okay. <laughs> every time, every time they interact, she's like, "Fine, I'll have to fuck oh, you." He's like, "You don't have God, to." She's like, right. "I know, I do." <laughs> I know, I'm aware. I have to. And her, her poor laid up husband who got hurt at work, and they're uh, gonna. Yeah, duh. this this <laughs> lady is a thousand percent Ruby. Don't take your love to towning that guy. <laughs> Don't worry about okay. it. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Someone, someone knows what Someone's song I'm talking about. That's such Doesn't an insane matter. sentence. 
Or yeah, but she eventually agrees. She takes the mm-hmm. money and is like, "Yeah, I'll call you when the they move when we move out." And and Jake does have just a little bit of interaction with the daughter Rosette because she's playing with a ball and tries to throw it at his head and is impressed when he catches it and throws it back. And I mention that because it's going to come back later. They are still, though, very dairy people. They are. They yeah. drop casual racism. And yeah. uh-huh. he, she tells Jake to run over her dog on the way out because it'll help her out. Jeez. I don't know yeah. what the fuck that was Ivy's about. Ivy's rough. When Jake gets back home, he has a note on his door from Sadie who needs a favor. Coach Borman's mother broke her arm, and now Sadie is left as the lone chaperone for the high school dance, something nobody wants. And she needs a partner, and of course, Jake is happy to do that. Not just any dance. It's the Sadie Hawkins dance. Sadie Hawkins? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah. he, he yeah. says that, oh, are you asking me to your namesake dance? <laughs> it's very cute. It's very cute. I thought for the hop, we could talk about, we could each talk about our favorite part of this section. Because a lot, like, I'll just go first. That's okay. Mine is the foreshadowing of Vince's death. They're at the dance and Jake's kind of, you know, going around making sure the kids aren't fucking each other (laughs) in Mm. the halls and drinking. Because that's what kids do in the late 50s, early 60s and still. And he runs into the boys, you know, the group. It's mm. Vince, who is also in the play, Jim Ledoux, Mike, and they're passing something back and forth. And Jake just like, don't. And he like tosses it away. He's like, don't ruin your life for, you know, a stupid drunk moment at a dance. It's such a wholesome moment. Yeah. Because it is not like him being the, it, it's not like a power move of Mm-mm. this teacher coming in. It's him caring. And it is not the kids, the kids are not like, ah, what the hell? It is so obviously these kids that were just making a dumb mistake. Yeah. And they care and about they his opinion. And they are found out by a teacher they respect. Yeah. It, it's such a great moment. And it, it, do, it foreshadows what happens to Vince because this is where he thinks about Vince's reckless driving. Because Vince is kind of this guy who's, you know, silly and goofy all the time. And he has to put him in his place a little bit. But all the boys handle it well. Did you guys have a... There's another really cool part that happens. Uh, the dance? Yeah. Yeah, the dance. The dance. The dance. This is the, the real Harmonizing. part where you're like, okay, you can't, yeah. you can't pretend anymore, Jake. Yeah. Come on. Because as uh, the night is going on, the kids start yelling for them to dance and the music starts up. Uh, the music played by this, by Richie Tozier. Yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Another really nerdy kid yeah. who likes music. Who stole his dad's records and is going to get in trouble. <laughs> and they start off up the music and the second it starts, he knows what's going to happen because it's the exact same song that... Bev and Eddie were listening to, and it's the exact same song that him and his ex-wife learned to dance to, The mm-hmm. Hell's a Poppin'. And they start doing a Lindy Hop, and it is perfect. It's magic. When the dance is over, Jake takes Sadie home and parks in her driveway, and it's sexy time almost. <laughs> That's my favorite part, where they fog up the windshield. Uh-huh. Until she starts crying, and runs away and says some shit that made me brace for a Rose Matter moment. Yep. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. Same. Yeah. 
when she calls him afterwards. Well, she she tells him she's a virgin and then runs inside her house and shuts the door. And then calls him shortly afterwards. As soon as he walks in the door, his phone's ringing at home. And mentions something obliquely about a broom. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, no. And we have to live with that broom comment for a while before we find out it's bad in a Different, different way, way than I expected it to be bad. Still bad. I love, too, how she <laughs> she's like, do you want to come over to my house tomorrow for a picnic? And tells him very discreetly, basically, it's a condom picnic. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to go to a picnic with you, CM. That's, I don't like that. So I've been a to a time. condom picnic. <laughs> <laughs> Sandwiches are chewy. okay guys we find ourselves once again at a very important crossroads bear with me it's a stephen king sex scene (laughs) and i have to admit that for some reason reading things like this now having done the podcast for so long for five years it makes me kind of feel like i'm reading my dad's draft (laughs) of his first novel and i'm finding out in the moment i'm reading it that it's kind of erotic he didn't (laughs) you know like think to warn me and i i think he does a good job here there's nothing wrong with it but and maybe it's a version like the combination of the audiobook version because what's happening in Happening to me personally in this moment <laughs> is that I'm listening to Craig Wilson fuck himself. <laughs> and it's beautiful, but I feel like I shouldn't be here. <laughs> there is some real m- moaning going did you on. Not, did you not enjoy, and I quote, the sound of greedy discovery? <laughs> I, did I enjoy the sound of greedy discovery? That's what you just asked me. That's what, I just, and that's what the book asked only, us. Only real friends could ask each other those questions, you guys. Anyway. There is definitely a scale to Stephen King's sex scenes. On one end is the it sewer scene, and this is on the other end. Oh, so they boner talk and despair us the discomfort. I'll just, I'll put the sting in here and post. Well, they're teachers, so they, do I have to say it? Come on. Recess. <laughs> there it yes. is. Oh. Okay, let's let's jump to the information dump that Sadie shares with Jake here. And further on, let's just yeah, combine this it's all. Gross. It gives yeah. us a lot of insight into her situation. Yeah, uh, we learn that her ex-husband is a huge creep, uh, basically. He is this upper... They, they weren't rich. Uh, she tells Jake that he they weren't rich, but they were still members of society. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck that means, but okay. And they were very, the, their family, uh, her family and their family seem very like hoity-toity uptight, right? Mm-hmm. And when they got married, they were married for four years and never had sex because once a week he would say he needed to get it out. Yeah. And any sexual contact was... A no-go because he had OCD. 
which I don't know existed back then. Well, yeah, obviously it existed, but I don't know if they had that nomenclature. It, yeah. Because when she starts talking about him, Jake is like, adds a bunch of stuff. Oh, he mm-hmm. probably alphabetized, alphabetized everything. Yeah. Everything had to be exactly so. He washed multiple times a day. And she goes, oh, my God, how did you know that? Well, he has mm-hmm. he has obsessive compulsive disorder, but also something else going on there a too. Huge amount of sexual shame, mm-hmm. and she let it happen. The broom ends up being that once he got it out, which I don't need to tell you is a handy. Um, is, <laughs> uh, he would make her go wash her hands Until under scalding red. hot water, Ugh. and when she got back, there would be a broom between them on the bed. On top of the covers so that they couldn't touch, like a barrier. It's such a massively upsetting mm-hmm. bit of, like, emotional neglect and yeah. abuse. It sucks. And to take something so, like, mundane but practical in the house. Like, every imagine how she feels every time she has to sweep her floor. Ugh. Yeah. Which sounds silly, but it's like... Yeah. A trigger now. So, yeah, she explains that all to Jake, and, and he makes love to her real good before well, that so of, it's it's sweet we that she has an orgasm the, yeah that is nice <laughs> we should also get into the fact oh, that good for her okay it's good sweet because her. her mom told her it doesn't happen for women don't make me sound weird <laughs> that's a no, horrible I, thing to tell any woman it, yeah it's it, rough i didn't want us to continue without mentioning that on top of these things there also is additional physical he did Put his hands on Sadie. Yeah, he, he slapped, slapped her, her. Oh, when she yeah. asked, basically, "How are we going to have kids if you don't get all up in here?" Well, and he's like, "I would never put my thing in your diseased hole." Yeah, like, was his, like, how he treated her. Yeah, uh huh. What a creep. Yeah. And so that's. I'm glad it, we'll never meet him again in this book. When yeah. it started right? to turn violent, right? Is when she she ran away, and yeah, he left the book forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. So we jump forward. Jake gets his spy lamps from Silent Mike, and. Oh, we had, oh, this doesn't make sense because we didn't talk about it. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. We're going to roll with it. And Jake and Sadie keep pounding cake. <laughs> yeah, that makes as <laughs> much sense as anything. As they pound more cake, she reveals more of her past to him. But we already, we wrapped that all up in one discussion. And, oh, you guys, I love, they have some good wingmen to keep, you know, to help them out. This is great. That uh, the, the what's his name deke comes by and he he thinks it's gonna be he, he doesn't know what it's about but deke's like okay so you ellen <laughs> wanted me to tell you and sadie about this thing and he's like oh no everyone knows because of course everyone <laughs> yeah. knows but he uh, tells him that there's uh, a nice uh bed and breakfast area you all know you can fuck in a hotel outside yeah. of town and spend the night together right duh exactly we did it for years before we got married <laughs> It's it's cute. Yeah, it's that's a good friend. Yeah, and in one on one of those nights, Jake has a terrifying dream. The Jake and Sadie are laying naked in an empty house, and Jake hears something moving around upstairs, making thudding and other unpleasant noises. And written in charcoal on the peeling plaster wall are the words, "I will kill the president soon." And then under that, "Not soon enough, he's full of disease." This is similar to what he saw spray painted in dairy. And Jake whispers in his dream to Sadie that he thinks it's Frank Dunning. And she shakes her head no and says it's John Clayton, her soon-to-be ex-husband. 
then she says it's a yellow card man and he brought the gym law. And then he's woken up by a very terrified Sadie because he's been saying all this shit in his sleep, including Ben, what you mentioned earlier, yeah. Derry is Dallas, Dallas is Derry. Yeah, I love that he immediately is like, oh, fuck, I was talking in my sleep. Mm -hmm. That could be really bad. There's mm -hmm. a lot of not stuff. Not as bad I as the stuff don't... I'll say out loud, not realizing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, constantly, apparently. Constantly. And I can't wait to be mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, this he wakes up from this nightmare to another one. There is a knock at the door. They're staying at this this bed and breakfast and it's one of the caretakers with a message from ellen there has been an accident this is so rough because we we've gotten to know these kids and jody and his home here and how important all of this is and we find out that vince rolled his truck he was killed mike was thrown from the truck broke his arm bobby jill is also there she was badly scarred on her face. And what killed me is that when Jake goes to the funeral, he's giving his condolences to Vince's mom, who's telling him like how he changed his life and all this stuff. And he gives her a hug. And this is where I think, Ben, you were talking about this. He's hugging her and he has the thought, did my being here cause something that set this event into motion? Like, would Vince have died? Is this my fault? And his knee-jerk reaction to that thought, because that's horrifying, he, like, grips her tighter, like, almost, you know, for comfort. Mm. And it's just, it's such a human moment. My thought is this is the obdurate past correcting itself because that car crash was supposed to he happen. he stopped them yes! from drinking at the yeah. Sadie Hawkins dance. Yep. Um, also, I think I it is- I fucking love that so much, Ben. I, I think it's an amazing show of restraint on Stephen King's part to not kill Mike. Yeah, yes. I thought that Agreed. was This is sad. It's a tragedy. But mm -hmm. I, when this happened, I had to go, who the fuck's Vince? I did, I did too. too. <laughs> So, I was like, how sad should I be right now? Okay, regular amount. And this is kind of around the, the part where Jake is thinking, like, I'm I'm going to stay in Jody. This mm -hmm. place is too important to me. But he's still going to follow through with his plan. So he doesn't know how this is all going to work and come together. And it's not, but he thinks it is. The next sections are Jake reminiscing on how good his life is here and how he has a life here, which he doesn't really have much of in 2011. And we're going to jump forward a few weeks before Christmas. Jake gets a call from Ivy Templeton. And I, I feel like this section is where we really get to unpack Ivy and all her, I'll roll ya a fuck glory. What did you guys think of this part when, when they talk and he goes to visit her? Yeah, so uh, he he gets the call from Ivy saying like, hey, this is the call I promised you. I don't know why I'm actually even doing this because I already have your money, but fuck it, I'm doing it. And he's like, hey, want to meet real quick? <laughs> and so they meet up and he pays her some more money for a duplicate key of her uh, house key. And, and he gives her his coat which is very nice. Yeah, because she's talking about how her life is taking a turn. Her husband uh, was in a car accident and is now uh, paraplegic. And uh, he he feels... Uh, sympathy. Sympathy yeah. for her and decides... Because she's trying to fuck everybody to <laughs> <Yeah>. get... <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> and, and he decides to that he can help her 
while also furthering his plan to eventually spy Mm -hmm. on the Oswalds. The thing I liked about this section was she tells him, because he's like, say hi to Rosette. She's like, I won't be doing that because after you visited the first time, she woke me up in the dead of the night, screaming her head off from this terrible nightmare where she's talking about there being a monster in the back of your car. And he's like, does this monster have a name? And he has a sinking feeling in his gut. And she says, yeah, Jim Law. I think she was trying to say genie or something. And the the other thing I like is the, he keeps describing her, Ivy's rough and tumble. And she has this harsh rainbird caw that he finds strangely charming. And I kind of did too. Just a strangely charming woman who is not unproblematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear about that. When Jake gets home, he finds out that Sadie's been trying to reach him to see if he wants to go to go- Coach Borman's Christmas Eve bash. An invitation that Jake hasn't looked at yet because the time is winding up to move forward on his Lee Oswald plans. And so we're getting pieces here and there of him being distracted, being forgetful, mm-hmm. careless with his slang, him trying not to lie to Sadie, lying to her about some things and then saying, you know, like, I can't tell you everything, but it's nothing that I'm not, that you wouldn't, it's nothing that would upset you. I'm not doing anything bad. It's just the tension is really starting to slowly build here. It kind of shows. Well, she she flat out says, I won't allow another man to put a broom in in Mm -hmm. the bed. Like that's Mm -hmm. the bottom line of it. Yeah, she's starting to withdraw. And it, I well, what I love is that she she knows until she's divorced, she's only entitled to so much of him uh, and so so much of that. Um, she accepts uh, what, what he tells her without mm-hmm. pushing, but she's like, once my divorce is over, I have the right to know things. I don't yeah, feel like, like I do now, but I will. Right. I'm standing my ground here so that you know when the time comes where that line's going to be. And that line is no secrets, full disclosure. Which I think is really cool. Yeah. They and make it, a great couple. It, it, I like it also Sadie a shows, lot. It, it shows Jake's in a tough position, but it shows that he is at heart a really decent person. Yeah. Because while he is lying, he there are several points where he refuses to lie in a real lying way. Like, when he comes back home from Dallas, she asks him, where were you? And he thinks, I could have told her I was Christmas shopping. Mm -hmm. It would be so easy to have a really good lie that I could, but he doesn't do that because he uh, he knows that what he knows that these lies he aren't should okay. have picked up some christmas gifts and he could have yeah, lied yeah. but not lied but uh, but also uh, yeah like i said it, it shows that like the fact that he didn't do that when he knew he could have shows that he knows what he's doing is shitty mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and by the time we reach the christmas bash sadie has started to withdraw from jake mm-hmm. and bobby jill by this point, has also attempted suicide. We get some stuff with her just always hiding her face because she's so, so scarred and trying to cover it with a lot of makeup. And Mike's trying to tell her, like, you don't have to put on a lot of makeup. And I'm not with you because I pity. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, just more insight into the town and the people who live here. And it's it's really sweet, but really sad. 
And Jake is starting to have to really put things into place for his plan, setting up the spy equipment in the shack that Lee's eventually going to be living in. And Jake's decision to continue with his plan is really starting to unravel his life in Jody. He's going to do one more, at least one more. I don't remember like every plot detail of this book, but he's going to do one more awesome thing before this all goes to shit. <laughs> Deke pulls some very obvious reverse psychology on Jake. <laughs> it's... They they want Jake to stay forever, essentially. <laughs> and he does he, too. <laughs> uh, he signed he signed a one year and now he's like, Yeah, you know what? You don't have to sign the one year. Uh, I guess but the drama club will actually be closing in that case. You know, like it gives him all the things like actually like this guy will be in charge of it. Guy fucking terrible at it. But I'm sure but, it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sure he'll figure it out. There's so many people in this town who would love to be making our children's lives better. We don't need you. <laughs> like it's so it's so over the top and I love that it seems like both him and Jake are on the same page of how yeah. over the top it is. Like he Jake appreciates how over the top it is. Mm. So Jake agrees to take this on and he agrees to have another show. And he has one condition, though, which we don't know at this point what his ultimate plan is. We find out when everybody else finds out, which I think is really cool. Did you guys anticipate what the they're going to raise funds for something for this show? Did you have any idea where he was going with this? I completely forgot. Mm -hmm. I was so happy when the moment happened and I, I remembered the because it's a, a really great moment uh, and it's they're they're going to give that money uh, to the girl who's Bobby face is Jill. Scarred. Yeah, Bobby I was Jill. mostly just really happy when he didn't suggest that they do a literal minstrel show. I oh my god, the minstrel show thing. When I just, the the note I made was the minstrel show impression. I don't mm. get it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, not great. But no. instead they just do uh like a uh, vaudeville. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hit. And while Sadie and Jake are working on the show together, it kind of brings them back together with one another a little bit. The show is a huge success. It's really sweet. And at the end, Jake and Sadie announce what where the proceeds are going and Bobby Jill is in the audience. She her and her parents didn't know either and it just yeah. she's got her face buried in her hands just like sobbing you know with yeah, happiness it's so, and, it's so beautiful yeah and i think after this is where i will be sad forever reading this book because jake is so preoccupied with his upcoming lee plans that he just keeps slipping up more and more until sadie finally breaks and she is like dude you can take your broom shove it up your ass if you're <laughs> not gonna come clean with me let's unpack this breakup you guys of if I'm going to ruin my entire life over singing a fucking song <laughs> and, I, and you tell me that that song ends up being because I decided to sing a honky tonk woman, I deserve my life to be ruined. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I hate that. Like, so th that's the song of the hon he He was singing honky tonk woman. And that's when she blows up at him and is like, all right. The, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. You're singing this really disgusting song. Where did you hear it? Like, where are the places that you've been going? Because this isn't something that would be on the radio. All the other words he says. Yeah, and the, and excellent, dude. Mm -hmm. I was just hung up on the fact that fucking I. You guys know my feelings about music. <laughs> you hate I it. Made, 
I made the effort to listen to Honky Tonk Woman, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shitty song. You're not a Rolling Stones fan there, Josh? I, I'm sure if you told me a good Rolling Stones song, I would have heard it and would have been like, yeah, that's a song that I like. Just um, not that one. <laughs> but hon- but Honky Tonk Woman, I struggled to finish that song. It's fucking terrible. You really did do your homework. <laughs> I did. Stephen, if Stephen King ever hears this, he's gonna be pissed. <laughs> Honky Tonk Woman but, is such a Stephen King core song. Like <laughs> it's it's the, the the note that I made after this was Jesus Sadie. If he wanted you to know, you'd know. It's the era of saying it's man business. Man. Oh, <laughs> and moving on, slapping her on the butt and saying bitches leave. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this just sucks because it's we love these characters yeah. and we love them together. Mm-hmm. And she, from her perspective, she's right, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. needs to move on and leave him because he's not being forthcoming with her. They have a pretty nasty breakup because you can see the love they have for each other and you can see how hard it is for her, but how like strong she is in saying, I let my husband do this for four years. I am never going to do this again. And we we end this fight with Jake having another strange moment on her. He realizes that Sadie looks an awful lot like Doris Dunning and he sees a piece of mail in her house that kind of sets him off and and makes him realize like, oh, hey, the past is harmonizing. And she looks like Doris. And she's got this middle name of Doris that I didn't know until I just saw her mail. Is she really safe from John Clayton? And he warns, scares her about him. What did you guys think of this final scene in this section? It's once again, from her perspective, bad. Yeah. Because it is not the way you would want like it it's such a bizarre non sequitur well, yeah they're breaking up and then all of a sudden he's like does your husband know where you live yeah and he's really intense about it and she insists it, that she's safe and he's like well your parents like him like don't trust that he can't find you it, sadie reacts unreasonably to the idea that people can react unreasonably in a stressful situation go on like, she, <laughs> well it, it, it's like the uh if this guy puts the pressure on, someone will cave. Mm-hmm. She can't just say, oh, no one would ever tell him where I am. Like he, That's kind of what he's trying to say is like, yeah, normally, sure. But if he really wants to know and he keeps the pressure on, if your parents love him and he can play them, he'll wear him down. Like that's the kind of what he's trying to get across. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks to the naivety of that, of women in that era too, though. Because we get a little bit sure. of her naivety when she's, Talking about, you know, her mom said, don't let him put a baby in you for, you know, that, you know, this amount of time right after you get married and Mm -hmm. women don't have orgasms and like giving her all of this really outdated, sad, strange advice. And she just had and she's like, I'm so stupid. And he's like thinking you're not stupid. You're like a lot of women from this time who just didn't know. And, And so she can't imagine a world in which, you know, she couldn't just quietly get a divorce mm-hmm. it's, yeah. and it's that foreshadowing is absolutely terrifying because she's he's so intense about it too that she's like backed into a wall and sort of flinches away from him mm-hmm. and that's when he's like oh, okay i'm being intense please just promise me that you will 
be safe and give the school a picture of him so they know what he looks mm. like. God, so smart. It is so smart. It's 2011 smart, though. Not, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And she screams at him that she will and to get out. Basically, it feels like she's saying whatever he wants her to say to mm. end this, to, yeah. to just have him leave. And that is where we leave the episode. That is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be reading through chapter 26. For Benjamin Graham and Sam Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, time travelers lie a lot. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to 112263 Part 3. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and X at Dairy Public. You can also email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon for bonus episodes and early releases and our Etsy store for merchandise. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.